Round of 16 has completed. Quarterfinals are on the horizon. And less than a week after our last show, we've got another one for you here on The Right Hosh, episode three, with a magnificent three Luke Ned Carney, Alex Thompson, Rob Jordan. Some of our teams have been eliminated, some are still going. There was no shortage of drama, at least in a couple matches in the round of 16. There were a couple blowouts, more or less expected, but. I think I uh, think think out of out. Of, I think there's only one team that we didn't expect to see. If you want to go back to our predictions and and judge us and and listen back to the previous episode of the Right Hosh, but uh, want to first start off by saying congrats to Morocco. That's a really awesome uh, awesome experience for them uh, to get into the quarterfinals, beating a traditional power in Spain. I wanted to start off the show just by giving a shout out to the Atlas Lions. The way I closed uh, the last show, giving a shout out to the Atlas Lions. And second, I want to say Rob's voice. He warned us is a little bit hoarse just because of all the yelling he's been doing for the three Lions, the British side, who had a bit of an easy time in their round of 16 match. Up the Atlas Lions. Let's go. <laughs> no, that sounded all right, Rob. No, I don't think you're too good. I don't think you're too bad. I think you can get a show out. We can get a show out of you today. Um, but um, USA falling to Netherlands. I think USA fans were kind of upset at how they approached really this whole World Cup, but that game too. Um, I feel like a lot of U.S. fans thought they needed to attack more. But really, if they had, I didn't think that would really have been made much of a difference. You know, once I saw Memphis make that first goal and be like, OK, the U.S. had 10 chances and didn't score. Netherlands scored on their first chance. This is going to be a long, long evening for the U.S. and morning for most people here back in America. You know, Luke, you, you said something at the beginning, I guess, about someone making it through who no one expected. But. I'm looking here at the quarterfinals, and I think every team here, one of us picked to come through this round. Um, I know both of you picked Morocco. Uh, I picked the Netherlands. So I think every everyone here, I, we didn't all three pick Japan, did we? No, I do remember that uh, Luke and I both, I never made a decision, but we both said that it would be a genuine toss-up. Which it pretty much so I I did got, yeah I picked I think we got half a point I know I, I picked Croatia yeah yeah so I that there weren't like any like Korea over Brazil or anything like that I, I think the the one upset which still is an upset and a good pick by you guys but um Mor- Morocco Morocco had the faith of the right hosh I think even myself who didn't pick them I definitely had the faith that uh, that they could pull it off and. What a match that was. We won't start there, but I, it, you just got me thinking early in the show. Too hosh. Too hosh. <laughs> I, I really liked – really liked, we'll, we'll talk about the the X's and those of that match a little bit later, but I really liked the uh, goalie being tossed in the air and then the coach being tossed in the air with his tie, like, flying everywhere. And that's just – that's the greatest celebration to me. Like, kind of like the student section at a college football game when they score, like, a touchdown and throw them up that many times, like 21 points. <laughs> but it's cooler when a team's doing it. It's like a free stage dive. <laughs> that one's on the house. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Alex is probably the wrong person to try and do that to. Uh, so if you ever score the game-winning goal in anything, we'll probably celebrate a different way. <laughs> but uh, Several dead after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, you know, we, we can start with the U.S. That was, you know, they were clearly overmatched against the Netherlands, I thought. Um, I, I that was my introduction to Memphis, man. Memphis, Memphis Depay, simply known as Memphis, on the back of his jersey, man. That that is one of the he is a fun player to watch, man. 
What club does he play for? Barcelona. He plays for Barcelona now, but um, for a long time he was with. Um, why am I blanking on this? Oh God, I'm blanking on this completely. It's okay, but, this happens a lot. He, he, um, yeah, no, Memphis. I mean, he's been a goal scoring machine, uh, going in before his injury. Um, so Rob, it, it it's funny your intro to him now. He's not even at his top form. So. Um, you know, the further the Dutch go in the tournament, you know, the more uh, back to his true form you'll see. I I, I wanted to block it out, but uh, he he did play for the for, for Man U for a while, but he's fresh off of his uh, his Netherlands club stay with Lyon. Memphis is that is. Yeah, I mean, I just I just thought that the U.S. should have played a more attacking style, like. At that point, this is a familiar territory for me as 20, you know, watching the U.S. soccer for 20 years. It's like round of 16, you're like, okay, we got there. We don't feel like we have a realistic shot to win the tournament. Let's just go out and play balls to the wall soccer. But I, do they just not have the, I guess they just didn't have the personnel for that. You know, there was no like, no fearsome striker on this team, you know, with respect to Tim Weah. Um, no, there's no guy you look at and be like, yeah, that's like, that guy is clearly the best guy on the pitch. Yeah, that that's what that's why I picked the the Dutch to win that, and the the Netherlands has one of the best back lines in in the entire tournament. Couple that with what well, we just don't. I mean, what we don't have the dynamic playmakers with experience. You know that they they did start Ferreira, which it, that's nice, but it'd been nice to get in some action before an elimination game. And then same thing um, with Gio Reyna, who they subbed in and. Uh, I think I think Rob mentioned it kind of as we were talking live or right after the game, but uh, it, it's no coincidence that right after Geo is subbed in, we we score our only goal of the match. Um, so, it, a, a really a, just a really bad matchup for the U.S. Um, you know, lackluster offense versus a a really stout, tremendous defense. It, the I, the math just wouldn't add up for me uh, prior to this, and. Um, Three three one, I think, is still a respectable uh, score for you know the first time the U.S. has been to this stage and you know over a decade and really young squad. I think we I think we have to find a manager that can better use this this young talent next uh, next go round though. Yeah, I mean to be honest, uh, the score line didn't really reflect uh, how close the game was. The game was much much closer. And to your earlier point, Luke, where you're saying, hey. You know, I don't know if the U.S. was that explosive on offense. The problem is that the Netherlands got their goal in the first 10 minutes. Um, if that had not happened, it would be a much uh, you know, closer game, not only on the scorecards, but um, it, would be, it would feel like a much closer game. It's, um, it's one of those things where if you go down one goal uh, in the first 10 minutes, you know, it, it seems, oh, it's not that far away, but the longer that clock ticks, the the further that gap widens. And um, to be fair, the because basically the Netherlands whole game plan, they were the creators of the style of total football where, you know, they're basically playing well balanced. They're not going overly defensive. They're not going overly offensive. Um, they're playing what's in front of them and they they are the makers of total football. And that's what they were playing. And that's actually the style that the U.S. team has been mimicked off of. But um, the danger, I pointed this out last time in the group stages where 
Uh, what's really exciting about watching the U.S. is they are a very passionate side. They're actively challenging for the ball. Um, you can see that they want to be there to compete. Um, the obvious Achilles heel of that strategy is you could open yourself to the counter. And with an attacking side like the Dutch have, that's exactly what happened. In the first 10 minutes, if you go back and watch, um, it was directly off of a counter uh, where you know, the Dutch got an overload. And uh, Memphis Dupai is one guy. You do not want to have the ball when there's an overload. And um, you know his senses kicked in there. But uh, to be fair, also the second goal uh, for the Dutch, uh, that was a very soft goal let in by the U.S. Uh, you know, there was only one minute of injury time and it was let in in the 46th minute. Um, it was just that case of uh, the Dutch got a throw in um, on the right side of the U.S. Uh, box. And, you know, the, the U.S., you know, you, you got to play until the whistle blows. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things you could see the defenders and midfielders, they weren't completely switched on. They were ready for halftime. I'm ready for that whistle to blow. And, you know, that's that's all you need uh, to give to a world-class side like that where um, I forget who scored the second Dutch goal, but um, he ripped it because um, I think it was from just outside the box. And it's because the U.S. defenders and uh, midfielders were just not paying attention. They were ready to get off the field. So, you know, you take those two things into account as a much, much closer game. Yeah, it really felt like the second goal was the backbreaker. Um, and, and even when you concede early, that you still always have opportunities to, to equalize. I always thought, think like in a sport like that, the even-numbered goals are the important ones. It's like, you know, extending a one-nothing lead to a two-nothing lead is 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 almost bigger. I think it's 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 more important than getting that first goal. I think, and they got it right before halftime. And you, you know, then the U.S. has to take what they thought that was their one one-nothing game plan what they were going to have in the second half and scrap it and then go, this is, you know, this is a two nothing game plan now. Yeah. Right. And go ahead, Alex, my bad. This is just, it's a United States squad that scored two goals, you know, uh, in in its, in its group stage. And I I thought it did well, even, even, you know, getting a tally and, you know, for the Dutch, we, we talk about, you know, I think Gakpo got all the, the headlines, uh, early in the tournament, just, you know, he was tied for the leading score through the group stages. But, um, you know, as far as percentages go, Memphis is a huge part of the pie for them. And I I, I think we didn't just talk about that enough going into it. Uh, he kind of – I don't know if he slid past our focus early on, but it was just enough um, to – you know, it, it, it's like a, it's like Georgia Georgia's defense last year. You get a touchdown, that game's over. Kind of similar here. You know, Netherlands gets a goal. Really, anyone get a goal in the United States? It, it's it's so hard for them to create and uh, and go get one to tie it, let alone two to win it. I believe you would you you should you met piece of the pie, piece of the pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> Part of uh, the pie, piece of the Luke, pie. <laughs> Alex, you pie. pulled off that pun flawlessly. Luke, you've been booked. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you've been booked for your pun. But the um, I I will say on the parting note for the U.S. is that, um, you know, Alex brought up a great point where, or actually it was you, Luke, where you know a two nil lead versus a one nil lead uh, are two very different games, and you know that second goal did uh, break the camel's back. You know, literally going into halftime, right before the whistle was blown, it scored. 
and that does mess up the game plan. But the, the biggest thing with the U.S. that they would have struggled with further in the tournament if they had beaten the Dutch is that you know they, they can't really overcome at this stage uh, more than two goal differential against another team because one they don't have that true striker which Alex brought up. But when they were attacking in this game, you noticed that they weren't bringing in that second wave of runners into the box. There were, uh, there's one time in particular with Pulisic, uh, a couple of times, in fact, where you know he would come in the box, be in an attacking position, but there was no second or third man coming into the box um, to support him. Uh, very similar, we'll talk about the Spain match against Morocco later, but very similar problem where you know, Pulisic is your guy that's going to draw on two or three defenders. The the U.S., you know, if it's a midfielder coming from deep or another attacking forward needs to come in the box and support there to be for a deflection or for a quick pass um, that will get to the near post or and far believe, post. Believe it or not, the U.S. never trailed in the group stage. So it was almost like they, they had no no experience in this tournament playing from behind. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe that contributed to the lack of urgency we saw that, that you were describing there. Yeah. And, you know, I think Rob brings up a good point. Another spot that I noticed that happening and we, we can move past the United States whenever you guys would like to, but, um, uh, another thing that we just don't do too much, you'll see Sergio Des do it when he's on the ball, um, a fair amount, but our, our wide backs never, never come up and, and come up with the attack. Uh, I I don't I don't know exactly why because I think Anthony Robinson and Sergio Dest are, are both really really good um, attacking backs. They both they both have a lot of athleticism, a lot of speed that we kind of lack um, on our wing. Even with even with Pulisic, you know he's he's knocked up pretty consistently and age is starting to maybe catch up with him a little bit. It'd be nice to use our youth that we that we boast about. We're the youngest team, youngest team. We, we should be one of the faster teams really then. Um, and we, we just don't really utilize it that well. Uh, that's something I would like to see as far as, uh, you know, a, a tactics change, whether it's with this particular manager or, or someone else, um, you know, in the next four years, I, we, we have to do a better job of taking advantage of that. What we used to use DeAndre Yedlin a lot more like that. And uh, we've just kind of stopped with, with Destin Robinson and I'm not, not quite sure why, but I think we should go back to that type of attacking model. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would just like more attacking soccer in general uh, from the United States. But uh, the next game played that day, uh, we all had Argentina uh, winning this game. It was two to one. Uh, it was a little bit more difficult for Argentina than it should have been thanks to an own goal in the second half. Uh, they were 61-39 possession. Uh, really, I think Argentina kind of kind of dominated this game. Uh, except for the own goal, which which makes you know gave, gave Australia hope at the end. But uh, Australia was another one of those sort of happy to be their teams. This is the, their first advancement since 2006, um, and they were they were they were overmatched against a uh, against an Argentina team. Of course, Messi scored a goal. What else is new? Um, his thousandth career match, actually. So that's that's another milestone for Messi. Chalk, chalk one up. Um, but. Yeah, this, this one was pretty straightforward, I thought, other than the hiccup for Argentina on defense. Yeah, I, Luke, I'd actually push back. Uh, I'd counter you and say that, um, to be honest, uh, the Argentina, yeah, they did get the W, which, you know, they were, uh, you know, pretty good to have. But uh, in my opinion, just watching that match, I think they had a lot left to be desired. 
Um, they certainly started off with a very slow tempo. Uh, and, you know, throughout the game, um, you know, they were passing a lot, which is traditional to their style, but um, they, they really lacked, they had flashes of brilliance for sure, which, you know, that was enough to get them over the hump. But, um, you, you know, I, I think they were uh, complacent um, for a lot of the match and with a slow tempo, you know, if that was part of the game plan for them to just play keep away from Australia once they went goal, one goal up, that's one thing to be said. But being one of the favorites for the tournament, um, you know, as they go further into the tournament, um, you know, they really need to step it up because, you know, uh, this was a very close game. Uh, Australia played aggressive. They played inspired versus Argentina. They were not phased. Um, they played with nothing to lose. And uh, Australia generally had a pretty solid defensive shell and defensive form, uh, and they would break uh, back through decisive counterattacks, uh, not quite as well as Japan, but a similar structured counterattack um, that Japan presented in their group stages. Um, the the first Argentine goal was, you know, it was a classic messy magic uh, with a quick one-two and then a shot in traffic in a crowded box. That's a classy messy goal, which I'm not going to take anything from him. Um, you know, he certainly won them the game, in my opinion. And then the, the second Argentine goal, um, it was just uh, the one of the few mistakes that Australia made uh, coming out of the back. Um, it was between the goalkeeper and the center back. Um, the, the center back passed it back to the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper, for whatever reason, decided to try and dart between two Argentine players and kick the ball out. And, you know, Australia paid for that. Julian Alvarez poached it and got it in the back of the net. So um, a, a much closer game um, than folks would like to admit. But um, uh, I do think, you know, sure, it could be due to Australia playing up to the moment. Um, but I, I also genuinely think that Argentina, um, you know, it, it's still leaving some question marks for them uh, going further into the tournament. They certainly need to step it up. Yeah, um, big Big question mark for me going forward for them is uh, how can they how can they win games without relying on Lionel Messi to to perform Messi magic um, because every team that he's ever been on has relied on it and that's you know uh, for for cup or for country uh, club or country he he has uh, he he has carried every single team. But you, you can't do that in a World Cup scenario. It has to be a, a, a team effort. Sure, one match here or there you can steal with an individual performance. But to make it all the way through, you have to have consistency and identity. And uh, other than his name being Leo Messi, Argentina doesn't have an identity. Their their midfield is kind of spotty, to be honest with you. If Most of the midfield possession consists of Leo dribbling around everybody and and taking the ball actively like a hockey player entering the zone just kind of he he just does it does it himself coast to coast a lot of the time um you know they have some forward talent with julian alvarez as you as you said um he he's had a nice world cup but um i i don't i don't see they've got acuna they've got DePaul, both guys who who play at a high level um for their clubs but i i haven't seen it in this world cup that they've been dominating they have at best kind of been a wash with whoever they've played against. And it, it seems like every, every match they've played has been Julian Alvarez and Leo Messi saving the day. 
and uh, that that's gonna that's gonna have to change if they're gonna beat the Dutch because you, you're not you're not willy nilly scoring on that defense. Yeah, I. I... I, I just I didn't really watch much of this match, but it sounds spot on for Argentina to kind of like coast through it like that. Um, I feel like Australia played the way that American fans wanted America to play against the Netherlands. You know, kind of more, just more, less, you know, more nothing to lose type type soccer. Um, but it, it, it's just it, it was a result that you know you're going to look at it four years late later in the next World Cup and be like, yeah, Argentina beat the Netherlands two to one. And I feel like people aren't going to pay much attention to how it happened other than like Messi scored a goal, which I think goes back to the point of Argentina's identity being entirely through Lionel Messi. Yeah. I mean, I think you put it spot on Luke before we move on from this group that, um, you know, Australia did play the way that U S fans wanted the U S to play. And um, I think I've mentioned that in our previous episode, but you know, Australia and U S were in a similar uh, mindset in terms of going into quarterfinals, when you're a team like that and you're the underdog, you had to play with nothing to lose. And Australia executed that um, game plan against Australia more effectively than the U.S. did against the Netherlands. And uh, as you can see, there's, uh, you know, taking the partiality out of it, um, you know, it, it seemed like there were two very different matches. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the next pod of games if you will um which is again we're going to be a lot of interest here uh we'll start with the with france and poland that was a 3-1 victory for the french uh killian mbappe is i don't know man he might he might be the best player in the world uh right now really was he's like 21 or 22 23 he's in his early 20s um Lewandowski got a goal at the end which again was really cool they were the commentators were saying that could be his last the last time he touches the ball in international soccer um, so, and they even, they even got a restart on it. It was saved the first time by Hugo Loris, but they ruled he was off the line. So Lewandowski got another crack at it to, to uh, ruin the clean sheet for the French, but Olivier Giroud, similar to the U S and Netherlands, it was, it was zero, zero about to go into halftime. Giroud scores in the 44th minute. And then Poland has to play the second half completely differently from how they thought they were going to. This is a, this is a match that I, I didn't get to watch too closely. Um, I, I don't remember why. It just wasn't one that I was able to watch super close. But I I, I just kind of knew what was going to happen. I saw some of the highlights, and it seemed like every time that France had the ball, Kylian Mbappe was down the sideline by himself and and making dribble moves. And you kind of you kind of look back at it and it was, you're like, how how they only score three? But I, I feel like the French commonly have matches like that, even against some of the better teams. Um, I, I think this was this was one of the the least complete teams that they that you could have played against in this round. But uh, we're going to find out a lot about the French uh, here here on Saturday. I think. Yeah, I'll um I'll save a lot of my you know analysis for when we move on to uh, the breakdown of the quarterfinals. But I mean, just short and sweet. You know, this match was the Giroud and Mbappe show. Um, <laughs> that's all it was. And um, Giroud with his goal. Um, he officially passes Thierry Henry as the all-time leading French goal scorer, which was a really cool moment. Um, and, uh, you know, he he got them into that game. Um, obviously, France, uh, I'll break it down further in our quarterfinal um, talk. But, uh, you know, Mbappe, you know, there is a clear reliance there on him. Uh, the, the rest of the team played 
uh, pretty well. And I mean, you know, Poland, other than Lewandowski, who, you know, the goal was a penalty at the end. You know, honestly, this should just be a 3-0 victory to France. But, um, you know, glad that Lewandowski got his goal. And as Luke mentioned, um, you know, one of the stars that, you know, didn't quite do as well on the international stage for his country is I'm sure he would have liked and a lot of fans would have liked to. But, um, you know, it was certainly special to watch him you know, break out of his shell this World Cup and uh, get a few of those goals. Poland is one of those middling European nations that doesn't always qualify. Uh, they, they're so when, when they have special talent like that, it, it's it, it becomes like almost a, a pardon the pun, like a goal for that player to get a goal. You know, I've seen that in other, you know, in past World Cups, like like uh, Ghana had to get Michael Essie in a goal or trying to get Michael Essie in a goal because you know they're 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 not a team that until very recently qualified for a lot of World Cups um, and. and you know, th- this game was also this th- this game was on a Sunday and the England game was on a Sunday and the commanders were playing the Giants. So I actually didn't really watch much soccer on Sunday at all. Um, but, you know, the Fr- France won pretty straightforwardly. England won pretty straightforwardly. But, you know, did you did it feel as straightforward to you as we thought, you know, somebody who looking at just reading a three recap of the 3-0 game might think? Uh, I'm assuming this question is poised to me. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, the I mean, uh, I'll put it this way. The first 25 minutes were a little shaky where um, it was playing a little uh, slow tempo. And we, we were taking some risky passes, uh, playing the ball out of the back. Um, you know, basically what exactly happened to Australia on when they conceded their second goal was, you know, their center backs being lackadaisical. Oh, let me pass it back to the goalkeeper. When you have two Australian or two Argentinian attackers right there, one of them being um, not Luis Suarez, Julian Alvarez, and that's the guy that poaches the ball, he's going to put it in the net. Um, so it was a little shaky to start. And, you know, Senegal, um, you know, as we were playing the ball out of the back, Senegal got a couple quick turnovers and uh, Pickford did come up big with uh, a couple big saves. One in particular was massive. Um, but I, I think that really kind of rattled the ring rust off of us. And that's what uh, got England to explode um, from there. Cause uh, once we got the first goal, um, you know, that really opened up the match and uh, that's when England really uh, let loose. And uh, after that 25th minute, England played, freely and we're on the front foot and we're attacking and with the talent that we're stacked with in the squad this year you know that's how the fans want to see it played and I imagine that's what Gareth Southgate wants us to get to because for too long historically England have been uh, you know playing with the handbrake on where you have all this talent and you know you're not letting them you know go all out so uh, it was great to see us break out um, you know, you had Saka with the first goal, which was fantastic. Um, then you had uh, Harry Kane get his first goal of the tournament. Um, he, you know, he's a goal scorer. He's hungry. He's looking for the goal. And uh, I, I made the bold prediction of him getting two goals. He was very close. There were a couple shots where um, he almost got the ball in and almost got a second goal. 
But um, Harry Kane being on the score sheet, as well as you know a plethora of other offensive players, um, that just shows how well balanced our attack is. And uh, England's really starting to peak and you know fire all cylinders at the right time. And as a Liverpool fan, glad to see Jordan Henderson getting a tally as well. Um, even though he's kind of an asshole, admittedly, I see even as a, a fan of his club, I, I I still know he's kind of an asshole. But uh, a, a red getting a getting some shine on the, the World Cup stage is never ever a bad thing. And uh, sorry, my mistake. The first goal was actually Hendo. Um, it was a beautiful ball played into him by Jude Bellingham, uh, which uh, you know, perfect pass, perfect shot. Uh, into the net and that really opened the game up and uh, you know it, it was just a great all-around team victory to answer your question Luke and uh, we moved the ball very well but um, I, if anything it shows that you know our position is only going to be getting better the further and further we go in the tournament and um, you know we got lucky with that first 25 minutes being a little lackadaisical we can't start the match off like that we have to play on the front foot and you know against a team like France um, or Portugal or Brazil in the future, um, you know, that, that's something that we need to, from the get-go, uh, you know, be on top of. I, I don't have too much to add. You guys covered a lot of, a, a lot of it. Um, one thing I will say, uh, England seems to have a lot more fluidity when Phil Foden's on the pitch, and uh, I think that was very noticeable um, against Senegal. There's just a little bit more flexibility he offers there's a little bit he can go kind of one-on-one and actually uh go score he's a, a really really great uh setup uh attacker as well it, he, he just kind of fits wherever you need him to be he's all over the all over the pitch all the time and uh i i'm really interested and we'll talk more about this as we get to the next round but really interested to see the lineup card for garrett southgate against france because uh that that's one spot that i could see uh, you know, immediately putting yourself in a hole or immediately putting yourself in a very, very positive, uh, promising position against against France. Yeah, and uh, to that point, Alex Foden actually had the assist for the Kane goal as well as the soccer goal. So um, even when he's not scoring, um, he is actively drawing defenders in and leading to goal scoring opportunities. So I, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I'm, I'm excited, excited a little for a little later when we talk about the England France game, because I, I know, I know I'm going to have some, some mud to sling and I know Rob's going to have some mud to sling too, but moving on with the round of 16 results, uh, the first penalty shootout of the round, one of two, uh, featured Japan and Croatia. And we, we went in thinking this could be the tightest game of the, the round of 16 and it, it, it lived up to it, man. I mean, Japan scored right before halftime. Uh, Croatia scored a little bit after halftime, and it, it, this was this was kind of a, a, a chippy game a little bit. Thirteen fouls to Japan, sixteen for Croatia. Uh, there were only two yellow cards issued though, which to me meant the refs a lot let a lot of stuff go. I saw most of this game. Uh, it, it was a fun watch. Just two yellow cards, both of them on Croatia. A lot of corners, a lot of opportunities. Um, but the story, I think, at the end, of course, was the goalkeeping of. God, I'm going to try to pronounce this. Uh, Dominic Livakovic. Uh, yeah, man. That's correct. Yes, perfect. Yeah, he, he really, really, he whipped it out in the in the shootout. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not one that I'm going to go deep on anal, in that analysis on because there's, 
it's just kind of a different type of game than we saw in the other matches. It was very, um, yeah. You ever walked into a Walmart and seen like a FIFA game on demo mode? That's kind of what this game felt like. It, it just felt like two computers playing against each other. It was not a whole lot of mistakes, not really, not a whole lot of emotion. Um, I, I really liked, you know, the. I guess respect for the game that both these teams played with. I think I texted both of you, both of you during it, and was like, I just, I really appreciate how little flopping Japan does, um, and in Croatia the same way. You know, they got a little floppy, but um, you know, it wasn't like w- watching one of those, you know, those big teams that has no business flopping around flopping. But you know, they got up, they played the game, and from a fan, per, you know, a, a spectator perspective, that that's ideal for me. It there's. A, low slop you know stop and play and uh, there's just a lot of game continuity that goes on there get a lot of action and both of those squads are are predicated on build up so it helps both of them to you know have the game move at a at a medium pace and i i i just enjoyed it it, it just kind of it felt very like an old-fashioned soccer match to me yeah i mean uh it was a fantastic match um i'd say other oh, we're gonna get to the morocco spain match um, you know, this was for me, and not including the England match with the bias there. Uh, this was the most excited um, I've been watching a match that wasn't my own country this World Cup so far. Uh, and you know, in my opinion, Japan uh, by far were the better team this match. Uh, they dominated the possession, fifty-eight percent to forty-two of Croatia, and they were more, way more aggressive with their chances. Um, they actively attacked the box, um, and which led to two or three very close chances to just win the game outright um, within 90 minutes and extra time. So, uh, you know, Japan really won this. They played up for this game. And um, I'd alluded to this when we were doing the previews of the round of 16 that, um, you know, Croatia is a very technically sound team when it comes to passing. Um, so their goal was to basically burn the Japanese energy levels out by continually playing keep away, playing monkey in the middle, passing the ball, and then eventually Japan would tire, and that's what would open up holes in the defense and allow Croatia to score. So Japan going up 1-0 just after 40 minutes, um, that certainly turned Croatia's game plan on its head. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but Daisen Maeda, I probably butchered the pronunciation, but the striker for Japan, uh, and he's a club man for Celtic in Scotland, I think he might be my new favorite player from this tournament. Um, that guy is all of 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but that guy has the mentality of uh, a Japanese striker of old, Mr. Honda. He has the mentality of a big guy, and he's not afraid of anyone, and he is a ball hawk in the box, and um, it was a brilliant goal from a beautiful cross, and... Um, you know, Japan certainly deserved to win this game, but uh, despite that, and despite Croatia playing slow tempo and pass heavy, um, you know, despite his age, Perisic um, is still very much a lurking threat whenever he is on the pitch for Croatia. Uh, he is a natural ball hawk. He is drawn to the ball, and his instincts took over in the 55th minute inside the box when he was looking for that cross, and he got a beautiful header into the bottom right corner of the net. So, um, you know, credit credit to Croatia. Uh, they toughed it out. The Croatian keeper definitely 
um, save them uh, in the penalty shootout. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things where Japan clearly outplayed Croatia, but, um, you know, they, they can only hold their heads high. And, um, you know, it, it's a shame to not see them go through. I know a lot of American fans hate penalty shootouts, but this I really like the spectacle of it. Like when it's happening, like it's all focused on you. It's kind of like a baseball game, like ninth inning, you know, one run game or tie game. And it's everything, every eye in the stadium is on the pitcher and the catcher and the batter, or on this case, on the the taker and the keeper. I'm I'm a Man City fan, so PKs make me want to vomit. So (laughs) on this topic, yeah, probably a lot of French people too from the 2006 final. Don't don't talk to me about penalties (laughs) very quickly. Uh, Whoops, didn't mean didn't mean to strike a nerve with everybody on this show. Uh, You have annoyed the right hosh. So we'll move on to uh, to Brazil over South Korea. Oh yeah, real real quick, I just want to shout out Rob for giving credit where credit is due to Daisen Maeda. Uh, Dude, dude has a phenomenal look. I'm just gonna say it right there. He he looks awesome. He looks <laughs> like it, it like main main character type of guy. Really like that shout out from you, Rob. Brazil and South Korea. Uh, this one was over early. Um, Vinicius Junior with the first goal in the seventh minute, and if, then of course Neymar with the penalty. And then man, Brazil scored all these in the first half. And I checked out early on this game for sure. Uh, but I I am really. This, this this bleeds over a little bit more into club season, but I, I'm I'm got my eyes out for Richarlison playing for Spurs uh, in the in the uh, in the the you know once club season run uh, starts running again, he's like probably the player that I've you know, discovered the most out of this World Cup and been like, holy shit, that guy is really awesome, and I didn't necessarily know about him beforehand. Yeah, I I don't know where this Richarlison hides out during uh <laughs> during club time, but um. Th- I, I you you could say that it's always been there, uh, but you know his time with Everton, and I, I guess somewhat this year he has come on a little bit stronger. But um, th- this is this is certainly not the the Richarlison that that I'm I'm familiar with. I I don't know if I'm just completely off the beaten path of him and haven't paid enough attention. But uh, to to me, th- this this wasn't a guy that I expected to contribute like this uh, to this Brazil squad. I thought if anything. Um, we'd see a little bit, maybe more Martinelli, a little bit more Rafinha, uh, maybe a little bit more Gabriel Jesus. Um, but R- Charleston's been the star of the show. Yeah, and I'm I'm also a big fan of Brazil's goalkeeper Allison, of course, because live the Liverpool connection there. But this was a this was I, I think Brazil could have scored ten goals if they wanted to. Like this was just a a, a clinic, as they say. Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was definitely uh, it was certainly clinic. You know, Brazil really could have scored more goals, but uh, you know, I don't want to go off too far on a tangent here because uh, I do want to stay focused on the World Cup. But you know, um, in terms of Richarlison, um, you, you know, I made the point on our first episode that what you're going to see is there are certain players that you know for their club they're okay, they're pretty good, uh, and some of them, you know, in Richarlison's case, right. He's playing in the most competitive professional football league, which is the uh, English Premiership. Um, so, you know, he's going against star-studded teams. Uh, even the bottom half of Premiership teams would wipe the floor with most of the top half teams in other European as well as South American leagues, right? 
So, um, you know, sometimes it's just the world stage, you get the chance to shine. Um, and, you know, it's all about your manager. Uh, it, the Brazilian manager certainly trusts Richarlison. So I think he's been given more of an opportunity to blossom. But of course, you've got to seize that opportunity. And by God, he certainly did. His goal was absolutely beautiful. Um, it was a cheeky little one-two pass in there with Neymar. There was Neymar and one other player in the buildup of it. And he just ran right through the defense on a cheeky one-two and just netted it. Um, I, I don't know if I like his goal more or Vinicius Jr.'s goal at the beginning, uh, where he's so fast that he was left so far out and the Korean defenders, um, you know, bunched into the box and no one was there where Vinicius Jr. literally had two to three seconds to stop, roll the ball forward, position it, and then just curled it into the net. Uh, both were fantastic goals and uh, I think summed up how this match went. I just love the way Brazil plays the game. I, they were, they won the first world cup that I ever really watched. And I just, I just loved their style. You know, in America here, we say that the playgrounds in New York City are where, like, the heart of basketball is. Well, I think I think Rio de Janeiro, like, the favelas is where the heart of, of soccer lies. I think that's where, like, it is the purest form of the game. And when it's at its best, what Brazil's doing right now, it's like, it might be one of the coolest things to watch in sports, in my opinion. Yeah, they're, um, they're notoriously known, like, you know, for, for contrast, right, where England historically is a very – structured team it's very regimented um you know people are very technical um and you know you could say rigid uh in terms of attack and defense where it doesn't move a lot but it's strong foundation where brazil's whole play style for its whole history basically every single player even down to a defender is basically freestyling um there is structure in there but um each player it's basically it's not even suggested it's assumed that each player has freedom to make the moves that they want to move, uh, which opens the game up. Um, but they're always, I don't know, it's just some weird telepathic level that no matter how crazy um, they get, they can do some crazy tricks, but they're always, you know, looking, they got their head on the swivel, looking on their periphery and um, they know it's easy to spot a yellow shirt on a green uh, pitch. I'll put it <laughs> that way. So uh, once you spot that, then you dish it out and you've opened a hole for your teammate. So, um, yeah, Brazil is always a pleasure to watch. Organized chaos. Uh, and, and I got to say, going back to the group stage, Brazil's change kits are actually pretty cool, too. The, the blue and white pants, the blue jerseys with the white pants, those looked really good that they wore against Cameroon. But that's me going down a rabbit hole about kits that probably is for another show. Um, but Brazil moving on, um, that was that was straight we spent more time talking about brazil than we did talking about the game that tells you how that game went um, yeah, I, I, i'm gonna say what everyone else is thinking i could manage this brazil team and make it to this point <laughs> yes <laughs> yes See, i will say to to that point uh no discredit to south korea uh the south korean goal was an absolute screamer from outside the box um you know it might actually have been other than richarlison's goal uh, I think might have been the best goal of that match. Um, so if you have a chance, you know, South Korea, hold your heads high. But, um, you know, unfortunately, they came up against Brazil, the tournament favorite. So um, the, the South Korean goal was absolutely uh, magnificent. So definitely check that highlight out if you haven't yet. I'll save the Morocco-Spain game for the last one because the 
the the actual last game on the list here is so was such a blowout to Portugal beating Switzerland six to one. Um, but I, the one thing I want to bring up from this game is d- does Portugal play better without Cristiano Ronaldo? Like we see him, we've seen him in his club, you know, his club, his club career, you know, this team, I don't think man, man, I think man, U is going to get better now that he's gone. That that's going to remain to be seen, but they score six goals. You know, the guy, the guy who is in the lineup for him has a hat trick. They score six goals without Ronaldo. And this is actually, actually texted to me by somebody else during the, the match. And he was like, I think Ronaldo makes Portugal worse. Do you guys agree? Yes. Okay, you know, there's no wrong answer. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I didn't really see much of this game, but I, you know, just looking at the numbers and stuff. I, I need to see more than one game of it happening for me to say yes. Uh, that one guy certainly looked like he played better, Giancarlo Ramos, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if that means that they're better without a guy that they haven't played a World Cup game without for the last twenty years. I, I, I can't, I can't say that at all. Um, that, that this in this particular instance it, it looks like it but it's it's one match I, I don't i don't know if i would sit him in scarier elimination games i'm just going to say that i'll i'll put it i'll put it this way um i wanted to just get a short answer out there cuz i didn't want to uh you know dump uh, on you guys cuz i could talk for 5 minutes about this myself but um the short answer i personally think is yes and the, the perfect analogy here is, you know, obviously over the past decade, right, basically the, the title of greatest player in the world has basically been a toss-up between Messi and Ronaldo. Certain years it goes one way, certain years it goes the other. But as, as they've gotten older, right, you get more set in your ways, and that true separation in the style of player you are really starts to shine through where you can see that Messi, despite Argentina's, um, you know, they were pretty underwhelming. Messi, yes, he does look for the goal, but he is naturally a d- distributor. Um, he is a team player. He looks to dish the ball out to people where he doesn't care if he gets the goal or if someone else gets the goal. If As long as he's part of it and he draws in defenders, he's cool with that. Whereas a Ronaldo, and I'd actually make the same point for Neymar, uh, with uh, Brazil, I think Brazil is better without Neymar um, coming off of an injury. But Neymar and Ronaldo stylistically are selfish players. They need, not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but they need the ball. If they yeah. do not get the ball, um, they become unhappy, they sulk, they their body language changes on the field. They need the ball. So the, the, the game through, goes through them. Um, so if one of those players is not playing well, um, that can be a detriment to that team. Um, so I do agree, Alex. It is a small sample size. I'm not going to argue with that uh, for sure. But um, I do think that um, – I mean, Ronaldo, Ronaldo coming off the bench, that's amazing. You know, him coming fired up off the bench. But I do think that um, Portugal uh, without Ronaldo and Brazil without Neymar um, are better teams. They distribute the ball more naturally instead of, you know, having sticky boots, um, you know, just going <laughs> one guy that holds on to it uh, for one or two dribbles too long. I love that they call them boots, but 
you know, we would call them cleats here, but here in, in America, boots means like hiking boots or work boots. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, kind of like James Harden, like, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., if you want to compare it to American sports, just guys, you know, Allen Iverson, guys who guys who play best when they have the ball. Yeah, I, I get what you mean there. And I think he, both of your points are equally valid too um, because Ronaldo, just the longevity, the longevity, the inevitability of him. You know, one game is a small sample size, but I think your Rob is spot on with the analysis that, you know, as their as those players' mental games go, so too does their team's game. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, this this wasn't me at all disagreeing with it. Just more, you know, I I, I think everyone kind of senses it's probably headed that way. I I just don't want to jump to the conclusion too fast. Um, because it, it's it's still Ronaldo. Like he he has been considered at times, a lot of times, the best player in the world for a reason. And I think I think a lot of people's feelings towards him in this World Cup are clouded by what's happened at United, which I believe has been overblown to make Ronaldo look like a bad guy. Um, when it, it that the the circumstances aren't that way at all. He was a pawn when City was looking for a striker. He was coming to City. All of his United buddies got into his ear and said, you can't go there. You had to go to United. United didn't need him. United wasn't, weren't ready to use him, and they've not been in a position to do that. And it's got blame put on Ronaldo because he was expecting something coming into it and not receiving playing time at the end of his career like he was expecting at United. So I think a lot of that bleeds over into the World Cup, and then we see Ronaldo get put on the bench, and we're like, all right, this dude's, you know, this dude's you know, cooked. He's done. They play better without him. I, I think I think it's just it's it's one match versus an entire career. And this is the first time that these guys have had to play the World Cup during their club seasons. Like that that's a big mental thing, I feel like. You know, that 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 was something that they they could say they could prepare for, but they really couldn't. Because in, in under normal circumstances, you're not stopping your club season in the middle of the year to go fly to some other country and compete in a totally different competition. Yeah, um, I mean, listen, I'm not here to make this into the Ronaldo show. I'll just keep my last point very brief. But uh, And this might be a separate discussion for a future show after the World Cup as we do speculate on the club season, which, you know, I don't want to bring that into this discussion. But, you know, with Ronaldo, you know, a couple years ago, um, the Juve coach, the Juventus coach, um, you know, it was his fault. He was pushing Ronaldo out. There were these politics. Okay. That's one thing. Then with Man United, and it's Eric Ten Hag and the manager before him. Um, you know, th- these it was these guys' fault. They're pushing out. Okay, that's one thing. And now the narrative from him in the Portuguese camp is, you know, the, the Portuguese manager, he's pushing me out now too. Um, you know, I I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you, Alex, where you know, is this being pushed by the media to get clickbait story. Oh, of course they're milking every minute of this for sure. Is a lot of it getting blown out of proportion? Of course, like definitely. But um, I, I just, a small detail. I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, that this is more of a mental health and just like growing up thing, but it's just coming to terms with certain realities in your life. And, you know, I, I don't think Ronaldo has necessarily come to that and you know he he's playing the blame game so uh, i won't go into it any further but it is certainly something to monitor 
throughout the tournament speaking strictly for Portugal. I, I really don't care about the clubs at all, but um, you know, it will be interesting to see, like you said, you know, does Giancarlo um, Ramos, you know, does this trend continue uh, going into the next match or was this a flash in the pan? We have yet to see. Yeah. I have a hard time believing they're not going to need Ronaldo again, at least once in this tournament. So um, yeah, I, I think that, that, that it's, to, to remains to be seen the rest of rest of the world cup. But that brings us to Morocco. This was, I think the, the best story by far of the round of 16. Um, I was just impressed that they were able to keep Spain scoreless for this whole match, you know, including extra time. Uh, the, the, you know, I, I feel like a lot of teams don't get enough credit for having solid defenses. Like, you, you know, you, you get a, 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 this group, I think was seen, you know, Morocco was seen as, the weakest team in the group. Well, maybe the second weakest team in the group after Canada, but nobody really talked about their, their defense and their defense was on display um, and their defense was on display in the whole group stage too. So I, it, I, it was obviously an upset, you know, Rob and I both picked the upset, but the, 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 if you watched, I think the group stage, which, you know, which a lot, we, we watched most of it. I, I think you were, you came coming into it. You're like, Morocco's got a chance if they can keep Spain from, scoring an early goal or getting the score too high. And that's exactly what happened there. This was a, it it was a, it was a really fun game for a a nothing, nothing draw that went all the way to uh, penalties, nothing, nothing. Um, But I I think everything that happened, we touched on in the show that this, at least as far as the right hosh is concerned, I don't think this came out of left field for any of us. This was, uh, a, a match that we talked about. They have shoot may, maybe the best right back in the entire world in Ashraf Hakimi. Um, dude does it all. He does it front, back, side to side. Um, they've got Majrawi uh, back. You know, kind of their their captain in the middle of their defense, um, and, and Romain Sice, who is their actual captain on the left side of their defense. That that's where their strength is. They're you know, I guess if you point to a weakness, it's their midfield, but. Their midfield does what it needs to do. It's just in the way. It makes it very inconvenient for opposing teams to advance into their defense. And th- then they they have uh, Ziyech, they have uh, Nezre, uh on their attack that are perfect guys for the counter. And they played that match exactly how they had to. Um, almost got a Hakimi goal there uh, at the end of regulation, I believe it was. Um, but that they, they played essentially four penalties and they had a couple of chances to score a goal during the middle of it, which is that, that that's, that's how they're going to have to play pretty much every match from here on out is just don't let goals in, you know, during regulation and try to get a cheap counterattack somewhere and, and beat someone one nil and, and move on to the next round. And this time it just, you know, it kind of spread over into PKs and man, their, their goalie talking to the opposing penalty takers was uh, was something to watch. Uh, Spain controlled the ball for seventy-seven percent of this game to twenty-three for Morocco. That that is astounding that they they never put the goal the ball in the in the net. But that just speaks to Yassine Bono. Is, is a, I, I know a lot of player, people on social media just call him Bono, like the singer from from U two. Um, but y- Yassine Bono, I apologize if I if I mispronounced that. Um, I, I should know how to pronounce that, but you know, I talked about the Croatian goalkeeper a few minutes ago. Like this was a very every bit the, the similar performance. Um, Spain, a Spanish ball did not go in the net at all this game, even in the penalty shootout. 
Yeah, uh, Bono, he he certainly had the match of his life. Um, even before it came to the penalties, he made uh, a few incredible saves. But obviously, the penalty shootout was, um, you know, that was his shining moment there. But, I mean, uh, similar to what Alex was saying, um, you, you know, Morocco, you know, they were playing for that 1-0 victory um, and playing that heavily defensive matchup. And then once it got into extra time, you know, then they're like, okay, well, let's play for penalties here. And, you know, Spain, I, I brushed, brushed up on this earlier where Spain had the same problem as the United States did, where, again, I pointed this out early on in our first episode that Spain lacks a true striker. Um, they have a lot of, they have a very talented midfield. Um, you know, they do have um, Morata will sometimes play false nine. Um, and, you know, they have decent wing forwards, but there is no true striker that goes in the box and has presence in the box. And and that's ultimately what led to Spain's downfall. So similar to the United States, um, there's one uh, chance in particular towards the end of the match where um, it towards the end of the 90 minutes, actually, where Morata was able to weave in uh, on possession into the box. He had a shot directly on near post. Um, and no other Spanish player ran into the box. They were all standing on the edge looking for the pass. It was so predictable where Spain, you know, like Luke mentioned, they had 70 plus percent possession. What they would do every time they got it in the Morocco half, one of the uh, center midfielders would bring it up and pass it all the way out to the left wing. Then they'd pass it back into the center and then all the way out to the white ring and just keep probing. And no vertical passes were made. No one was running into the box, making runs from midfield or even a winger um, or Morata making runs into the box. That's the difference. That is why Spain, um, you know, Morocco played a hell of a defensive match for sure. So not taking anything away from them. But Spain's game plan perfectly played into their hands. Morocco knows how Spain plays, and they played the perfect match. So well-deserved for Morocco, um, not just as the last African team, uh, but the last Arab country uh, and last Muslim uh, country team in the tournament. So, um, you know, that's what I was also alluding to last tournament, where they were basically going to have a massive home advantage no matter what. So um, it will be excited to see that home advantage um, continue uh, into the quarterfinals. You see that a lot every World Cup when, you know, it, when it, they're in geographic locations where, so it was in 2010, you know, when it was in South Africa, when Ghana was in the knockout stage, yeah, most of the fans there became Ghana fans. Uh, in, in, in 2002, going back to that, I mean, the home team, South Korea, well, one of the home teams really it was divided between South Korea and Japan that year. But one of the you know so one of the home teams, South Korea, made the semifinals. Like that made that tournament that much better. You know, France winning it in 1998 on home soil. Uh, and, and now here we've seen uh, the Middle Eastern teams like Iran, United States. Iran had the heavily favored crowd in in that game. Uh, Morocco had the the heavily heavy crowd advantage in, in the Spain game. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Argentina, that was a Saudi Arabia home game. Uh, so it, it's really cool to see who benefits from where where the games are located. Um, but the the one other thing I loved about the end of this game was Hakimi hitting the Jalen Waddle celebration after he buried that last PK. 
Uh, we've seen a couple of NFL players do soccer celebrations when they score touchdowns. And this was a cool full circle moment. Yeah, because he's ice cold, baby. Hot <laughs> baby. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I, 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 I always like I like that because, you know, you with like social media and like a lot of these guys have endorsements with the same companies or might have the same agents or know through people through the same agents. So they, they were like, Oh, that's my boy over there doing that celebration. I'm going to do that next time. Uh, next time I, I, I do something good. Um, so I, I like that crossover between sports. Um, not as good as the, uh, the Ghanaian player doing the Ronaldo Sioux celebration in the group stage, but, but I digress. Um, got the quarterfinals set. Um, do we want to start back up at the top with uh, Netherlands and Argentina? That, that'd be, yeah, that'd be my preference. Uh, yeah, but this is, yeah, this is a, this is a good game. Uh, great matchup between two traditional powers. Um, Argentina, like we mentioned, is going to have to play much better soccer on the attacking end to crack that Netherlands back line. Um, I'll be paying player. I'll of course be paying most attention to is Virgil van Dijk uh, in that Netherlands defense. Uh, the pride of Liverpool, one of the prides of Liverpool. Um, but yeah, I thought he had a really good game against the United States. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I, we can, you know, dive in a little bit before we pick it, but um, this is, these are two teams that, you know, this is a popcorn game. These are two really good teams. Each team has reasons why they're going to win the game. It's just kind of a matter of who executes better. I, I think in this one. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's the name of the game at this stage. There's, you know, there, there, there's no, we got two more to, to get this back. That If you're bad once, you're, that's the last time you're bad. Um, uh, th- this one's tough to pick because you, you, you just wonder what Argentina squad really shows up. They're very, they're quality enough to, you know, get through their group stage and, you know, first knockout game pretty, pretty easily without being, you know, too challenged or too punished for their mistakes you know the the the, but the 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 saudis showed me that they have a weakness and um i i don't exactly know what the weakness is but it just like we talked about in their uh their last match it just feels like it's that midfield and the netherlands are just really strong top to bottom i i actually think stronger throughout their squad than argentina is um i Shit, do you want me to pick this one now, or do you, we want to do picks kind of after analysis? I mean, Rob, Rob, you got any? You got anything burning about this match? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Alex, Alex, pretty much hit most of the points I had on the head. Um, I really, my big question mark for the Argentina, um, that wasn't mentioned, is that, I mean, you know, there are certain countries that you know, the the World Cup doesn't start until the round of 16, really. That's when the real tournament starts, right? And certain countries are notoriously known as slow starters, but as it just something happens when they get into the knockout rounds, it they just turn it on and everyone's locked in, everyone's focused, and they reach this new level of team chemistry and just, you know, just football, football greatness. And you know, this is going to be Argentina's real test here. Um, this Netherlands team um, did have a shaky start in the group stage, but, um, you know, they played a tough U.S. squad and won there. So, um, you know, I, I do think 
Uh, if Argentina uh, plays like they did against Australia, which was very lackadaisical, um, you know, they had flashes of brilliance for sure. But, um, you know, overall, I think they were pretty underwhelming. They were playing this slow tempoed kind of game. Um, you know, they were up somewhat early, so that could have had something to do with it. Um, so, you know, when it's 0-0 with um, the Dutch defense being as solid as it is, um, you know, I could see that uh, Argentina maybe ups the pace a little bit. And, and anything I would say that the Netherlands midfield got exposed um, against Ecuador in the group stages. Ecuador had uh, arguably one of the best midfields in the tournament. And it's not that the Dutch have a bad midfield. They have a pretty decent midfield. Um, but, you know, I, I think led by Messi, if they can... Um, if Argentina's midfield can switch it on, um, you know, Alex, you mentioned that the midfield for Argentina was a question mark. I think this is where this game is going to be won um, because uh, if Argentina uh, can rally behind Messi in the midfield and win that battle there um, and switch it on and control the tempo of the game, um, you know, I think that could see Argentina through. But um, if they don't, uh, I think the Netherlands uh, have a good chance here. And uh, do you want me to make my pick now that we start that? Or do oh, yeah, go more? go for it. So um, uh, one thing to note as well, uh, I'm going to make a note of this for every match. Now that we're in the knockout rounds, yellow cards do matter. Um, so the Netherlands um, do have one yellow card. Uh, it's Frankie de Jong in midfield, who's one of their – he's probably – one of their best midfielders other than Dumfries. Um, so that's one thing to pay attention to if he gets, um, again, for folks that don't know, if he gets a yellow card this game, if the Netherlands advance, he will not be able to play in the next match. Um, so if you but, get two uh, yellow, if you get two yellows in the stage, you're suspended well, if for you, a match. If you get two yellows, a, a game in, or like two games in a row, Right. So if okay, you get yeah. a yellow two games in a row, right, okay. you basically are out for the next game. It doesn't have to be in the same game. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. So um, that's one thing to look out for. I would not be surprised if Argentina looks to target Frankie de Jong for that reason, for some gamesmanship. But uh, my pick, I'll be honest, I think the Netherlands are starting to heat up as opposed to you know, what Luke, you made a mention of this earlier. Argentina's kind of coasted through this tournament up to this point. And I think that's going to come back to bite the Argentinians. And I see the Netherlands in a very close match um, beating out Argentina to move on to the semis. Yeah, I like the Netherlands too. Uh, I think they're going to win. Uh, I think it could be another three to one game, honestly. Uh, I, I think they're going to score multiple goals. This will not be a one nothing game. Uh, that that's the that's what I'll predict, but I will predict the Netherlands to win. Yeah, it. I I my head tells me to pick the Netherlands, but my heart and what I'm going with is exactly what Rob talks about. There there are these teams that just they they just kind of sit back until they're challenged and they they turn it on at a certain point. And I think the Argentinians are going to do it for Messi. They're going to do it for Maradona, and uh, I think they're going to make it past the Netherlands, but. I, the Netherlands should be the favorites. They're the best team, they're the better team right now, but I think the Argentinians bring it and, and emerge victorious. A smart, yeah. smart kid in a smart kid in a dumb class, right? Like you say on the football show. <laughs> uh, 
Um, precisely. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we make that analogy a lot on the right hash as opposed to the right hosh. Um, but that is uh, that is on Friday. The other game on Friday features Croatia and Brazil. That's actually the first game. That's the morning game. Um, oh no, we picked them out of order. Boo hoo. Uh, but anyway, Brazil, Croatia. This is, uh, I guess, what you you know. It, the, the, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use the word mismatch. Everyone's really really good at this stage. Uh, Brazil's gonna be the favorite. Um, they they put on a clinic in their uh, in their game against South Korea. Um, but you know, Croatia has had some big time goalkeeping in this game. And I think it's going to take big time goalkeeping again, uh, in, from Livakovic in, in this one, if they're going to have any shot against Brazil. Yeah. Uh, or, go sorry, ahead, go ahead, Alex, go ahead. I'll, I'll make this really quick. Um, I don't think there's a lot of analytics here that matter. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to take the Brazilians to win convincingly and uh listen to any other uh input you guys have but uh i'm not going to be swayed it's going to be brazil i'm i'm i am also with you there for the record that's that's my pick as well yeah i mean uh, i'm definitely picking brazil in this match um just for a slight analytic breakdown here uh one thing to note again on yellow cards uh croatia has two coming into this match uh one of them is borna Barisic, their left back uh, and as well as Mateo Kovovic, uh, their left midfielder. So again, if Croatia does advance from this match, um, you know they're going to definitely play a very aggressive game versus Brazil. And just, I think it's all going to come down to who the referee is. Um, you know, certain referees uh, let them play on, and they don't really call things. But there are certain referees that will call every single foul, and people will start to get booked up very quickly. So. Um, that is one thing to pay attention to this match is who is refereeing it. Um, so if Croatia does advance, um, you know, uh, one of their starting defenders and then on the same side, their starting midfielder um, who works in tandem with Modric, um, you know, they could be in danger of not playing uh, in the semifinals. But uh, I, I do see Brazil um, overpowering Croatia here. Croatia's game plan is going to definitely – uh, be different than they were against Japan. Uh, you know, against Japan, they were, you know, playing more of that keep away. They were, they viewed themselves coming to the match as the more technically um, advanced team. And they think that they could just pass the ball around Japan. Um, they can't do that against Brazil. I think you're going to see a much more aggressive Croatia. Croatia knows they're the underdog. Um, they're going to go for gold. They're going to go for broke. They have nothing to lose. Um, but uh, with an aging team against a surging Brazilian team that's stacked, um, not just full of talent, but young, energetic talent, um, I, I do think that Brazil's, despite Croatia's best effort, is going to get the best of them. Yeah, are you unanimous on that one? Joga Bonito, Brazil should advance to the. Yep. Uh, just uh, h- hoping and wishing Gabriel Jesus has a nice, uh, quick, speedy recovery. Uh, looking like he's going to be out for about three months. So, oh man, that's a bummer. Uh, hopefully, he comes back in Arsenal. You know, as much as I would love to <laughs> win the league, uh, hopefully they don't lose too much of that well de- well earned lead that they have on the Premier League table and get Gabriel Jesus back for a a, a full a full health Arsenal at the end of the league uh, year. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, you know, definitely shouts out to him and hope he gets better. And uh, this is also an inspired Brazil team. Uh, because Pele is in the hospital right now. So 
um, you know, he sent this message to the team before their previous match um, that he'll be watching them. And so you see a very fired up Brazil team look for them to come out guns blazing and uh, not just do this for Gabriel Jesus, but also for uh, Pele the GOAT. Yeah, shout out to uh, Gabriel Jesus, not to Arsenal. <laughs> the Pele ball. Also to Pele as well. Ah, the Pele ball. <laughs> Great movie. Really underrated. Movie. Really, really Ex- underrated movie Ex- from the 2000s. Extremely, extremely underrated. Oh man. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll again we'll save it. We'll save the most interesting one for last. Um, and we'll go Morocco and Portugal. That's actually the first game on Saturday. Uh, so we'll we'll start with that one. Um, man, I would really love. I'm not. This is not my pick right here but i would really love to see morocco advance in this one i would love to see this is this is cinderella man this is this is kent state in the 2002 elite eight you know this is george mason in the final four you know this is this is uh you know vcu in the final four this is um if if, you know when boise state played in the fiesta bowl i could go on and on and on Uh, but the whole world i think is going to be rooting for morocco in this game outside of portugal and possibly some of their former colonies so uh uh Man, this is uh, this is definitely the biggest, the widest gap on paper. Um, but Morocco did it once; uh, they're capable of doing it. They've, they've they've got great defense, and Hakimi is rap- rapidly becoming one of my favorite players in international soccer. But they got to contend with a really, really strong Portuguese attack. And as much as I would like there to be no Portuguese, well, this is this is going to be a tall task for Morocco. Again, I'm, I'm not making my pick just yet, but I don't know. You, do you guys have any any thoughts on this this match? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, again, Morocco will certainly have the home field advantage, like I said. And, you know, I'd mentioned, you know, last African team in there, last Muslim team in there, last Arab team in there. That's big. But let's be real. Every other European fan that's in that stadium is going to be rooting against Portugal, too. So basically, it's going to be Portuguese fans versus every other fan that's in that stadium. Um, so it's going to be a rocking, uh, boisterous atmosphere. Uh, I don't know which stadium they're playing in, uh, but I know that some of them are known. Uh, some of them have uh, better acoustics than others. Uh, so the crowd noise will certainly play, um, have a part to play here. And this, this one is at Al Thumama Stadium. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have no clue. That's water over my head. So um, I, I will say though, that, you know, we, we had talked also uh, previously about, you know, we joked about geopolitical things coming in uh, to play with uh, matches, but it, it is a really big thing. Obviously it's a bigger thing with Morocco versus Spain, uh, but Morocco versus Portugal is another, they're right next to Spain, Morocco and Portuguese have plenty of plenty of history to go back and you know so this is a match that morocco is going to play up to so um they're certainly going to play with nothing to lose here um you know they it, of any of the quarterfinal matches um you know this is the one that there is a true underdog um which is morocco you know my pick my heart says morocco but my head says portugal i think they're just too well-rounded. Um, they're a deep squad. They've rested their players well where, uh, you know, Morocco just played the match of their lives a few days ago. Um, they're going to be absolutely knackered. Um, you know, their, their captain, uh, Roman Saiz, he has a yellow card coming to this game and he is 
one of their center backs. Uh, you know, he's one of the pillars of their defense. So that's something to look out. And um, I believe it was him who I think he had to get his leg bandaged up um, towards the end of the match and get subbed off. So, you know, just look for the depth of the Portuguese squad uh, and the talent that they have to uh, carry them through here. And um, I, I don't necessarily think Giancarlo Ramos is going to have um, a huge game this match, but my prediction is that Zhao Felix uh, from the outside uh, as an attacking forward is going to rip in a couple goals and it will be a big uh, match for him. Really, really good notes. Echoes a lot of, you know, what, what I think as well. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick uh, a player necessarily, um, but I'm, I'm going to go to the same place you're talking about though, Rob. I'm just going to pick between Rafael Leal or Joel Felix, Joel Felix, whichever one isn't matched up against Sakimi is the one that's kind of positioned to have that goal, maybe a brace. Um, whoever's matched up on Hakimi is just going to have to, you know, make, Sorry, it's it's leaving me. That they're just they're gonna have to accept the fact they're not gonna they're not gonna do much against them. He he's a he's a phenomenal player. Um, I, I like you said, Hart wants Morocco. Uh, my my head just says Portugal has too much. My head also said Spain had too much. So uh, I, I'm not saying that Morocco can't do it. They are certainly capable of it if they are able to kind of get Portugal to play into them the same way Spain did. And, you know, maybe miss a couple of opportunities. It's right there for Morocco as well. But I, I think the Portuguese are going to edge this one out. But it's not going to be it, – it's not going to be a, a lot of distance. This is going to be a close game. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't have to give me a reason to make sad Ronaldo memes. So, uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to do so. Rob, well, you who, sorry, Luke, real quick. Rob, there's a potential you, you see the winner of this match in the next round. Who would you rather see? I'd like to see sad Ronaldo memes. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to do what you guys aren't going to do. I'm just going to say fuck it and take Morocco. I'm, I'm Lee Corso on the set of college game day, throwing the, the mascot head across the set. Uh, just, just give me the Atlas lions. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not even going to pretend like I know how it would happen, but, but it's, I'm, I'm going to say that, to be different and pick Morocco in this game. And it's going to be a wild celebration uh, throughout the Arab world. I think that would be, I, th I, just, I think that'd be really cool out just outside of soccer. I think that'd be, that would be huge for, for soccer and, and on that part of the globe. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's my pick. I'm going to, going to, going to go out on a limb here, something I don't do a whole lot on, on picks. So, um, and that brings us to the, the game. The, the just just the game. I don't know if there's a, there's a term for it, but I've, I just I want to call it the game or the match. You know, the, the 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 two powers that have fought over seemingly every country in this on this globe, including India, where my family originates from. Uh, the British won out in that those wars, the Carnatic Wars, and fast forward 250 years, and they'll be meeting in another exotic location in Qatar, but this time not with muskets, with their feet, with boots with shin guards, England and France quarterfinals, man. I wish this was later in the tournament so it could be for higher stakes, but we still get it in the knockout round, which I'm just really, really excited about. And 
And I, I mean, I, I think, I think Rob, Rob's probably just going to not going to watch this match. He'll just take the afternoon off and do, do something else. Maybe go for a walk or, or read a book or something. Yeah. Uh, rumors are swirling that uh, the right hash cast uh, may be at London bridge in downtown Raleigh for this match. Uh, you didn't hear it from me, but rumors are swirling. That sounds like a shoddy source. Um, I, I'm not going to say too much about this one because I just want to let Rob uh, go off on it. But uh, sources can confirm that regardless of the result, London Bridge will be falling down. It's it, it's going to be a rowdy time. And uh, listen, you know, I, I'll start off. Yeah, I'm going to go deep in analysis on this match. But um, listen, uh, the English have a very long storied history of defeating the French and um, the past is usually the best predictor of the future. And uh, I don't think that uh, history is going to change at all. So, um, you know, I do have my three lines uh, beating up the French here. And uh, I'm going to go into more detail here um, on the analytics of it. So uh, the good news uh, just before I go into that is uh, England does not have any yellow cards uh, coming into this match. Uh, France has won, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here. Uh, it's a uh, Chouameni, um, in their midfield. That was uh, perfect. Their... Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, Chouameni's, um, uh, one of their talented midfielders players for France. Um, he has one yellow card coming in, but, um, you know, th this is going to be a spirited match. Uh, this is one of the oldest rivalries in sports in general. Um, so, you know, it, it is going to be a physical game. Um, you know, I'm just hoping that the referee on the day uh, is one of the referees that plays the advantage. Uh, he lets them play on and does not reward flopping, uh, which there will be some of it. But, um, you know, th this is going to be a spirited match of lots of history and lots of passion in it. So um, leading up to uh, this week, you know, a, a lot of people uh, I brought up the point about Kyle Walker on our team. Um, our left uh, back, um, how important it was for us to get him back up to match fitness. Uh, you know, he had missed a few weeks uh, or actually about a month and a half at Man City um, before the World Cup tournament. And, you know, he's a pivotal play for us. So uh, I'd mentioned that he's, you know, the fastest man on the pitch at all times. And for matches when he's someone like Kylian Mbappe, who arguably is the best player in the world right now, and whose pace is his, you know, arguably his one of his biggest attributes other than his shot accuracy and finesse. Um, you know, a lot of people have been making this battle about, oh, it's Mbappe versus uh, Kyle Walker, where, um, you know, I think he responded very well in the press conferences by saying, listen, this isn't England versus Mbappe. This is England versus France. Um, France, I didn't mention it in the previous um, match, but, France and England are both very evenly matched. They're both very deep squads. They're both very well-rounded teams. Sure, each one does have his weak spots and chinks in the armor, but um, you know this is essentially what the World Cup final should have been in 2018. This is what people wanted to see, and this is arguably the best matchup of the knockout rounds, um, despite who goes into the final. So um, it's a very even line. Um, you know, I, I have England winning just because um, we have spread the ball around. Um, you know, it's not just our 
main guy, Captain Kane, scoring. Uh, we have Bukayo Saka. We have Jude Bellingham coming from midfield. We have Jordan Henderson coming from midfield. We have Phil Foden on the opposite wing. We have Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish also wing substitutes coming in and scoring. Uh, we have multiple points of attack uh, where France is going to not going to know where the ball is coming from. Uh, arguably, uh, you know, England has the same concern on defense. Everyone on France is uh, in good form and is capable of scoring. But, um, you know, th- there is this narrative going on that France is a little reliant on Mbappe, which there is certain truth in that where, you know, there is a game plan where sometimes you just got to give that guy the ball. And, you know, that's fair, right? He's arguably the best player in the world. But a lot of Mbappe's chances come uh, because you have Dembele, um, who has blistering pace. You have Giroud, who constantly, constantly gets uh, underappreciated and never gets the shine he deserves. Giroud is a very dangerous man in the box. He is a natural ball hawk. He's a natural striker. And uh, Antoine Griezmann, while he has not been playing um, that well for his club, he's starting to get – he's not quite the same as he was last World Cup, but just having Griezmann in that central um, – you know, France is doing the 4-2-3-1 formation. Um, having him in that central attacking midfield position to distribute the ball to Dembele or Mbappe with blistering speed on the wings um, to attack – uh, the English center backs in Maguire and Stones uh, with Giroud hanging around the box. That is something that England is definitely going to need to pay attention to. Um, but uh, I do think uh, with Chuameni and Rabio in midfield, as well as Griezmann in midfield, uh, I-, I think this match will be won in the midfield. And, uh, you know, Alex, you brought up the point. I'm not sure how England's lineup, uh, how Southgate's going to decide it. I think he's going to put out the same starting 11 that played against Senegal and that for, you know, barring knock on wood, any injuries or yellow cards further into the tournament, uh, that will most likely be our starting 11. Um, So that's with Phil Foden starting on the wing with Sock on the opposite wing, Kane in the striking position. And I think uh, Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, I think they outclass this, France midfield, and um, if they outclass them and outplay them, um, they not only uh, provide more support in defense um, uh, to aid against Mbele and Mbappe and Griezmann. Uh, Declan Rice is a fantastic defending uh, midfielder, um, but they can also all help on the attack, which uh, we have seen time and time again throughout this tournament. So um, it will be a very close match. Um, I do think that the balls are going to fly. Um, I see, I can see this being a three, two uh, or two, one uh, victory to England. But um, I think if England's going to win it, it's going to be within 90 minutes uh, or within extra time. I actually think Bellingham is one of the keys for, for England in this game. I think, I think Jude could really make it bad for France. Uh, and uh, oh man, that, that hey. one didn't land. <laughs> I was about to say that one didn't land, but I, I guess no, no I, I got it. <laughs> that was pretty good. Man, I like England in this game too, of course. Um, I, I also really just don't like France as a country or as a soccer team. Um, they won the last World Cup, they should give someone else a try. Um, 
<clears throat> but I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think they've got great play, you know, like great players. Of course, Ugo Loris has been one of the great goalkeepers in international soccer for a long time. Believe it or not, here's a history lesson for you. These teams have not played in the World Cup in 40 years. In 1982 was the last time they played, and they've never met in the knockout stage. Both matchups were in the group stage, 1966, a 2-0 win for England, and 1982, a 3-1 win for England, in which the great Brian Robson had two goals. So the, the French have never never tasted victory against their cross-channel rivals in the, uh, in the, world, the world Cup. So that's going to be something that I think, I think they're well aware of coming in. Um, and, and I think on the other side, England's going to be well aware of that too. You know, we've never lost to our biggest rival on the biggest stage. Let's keep it that way. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, of course, picking England in this game too. Um, that, that is, uh, that, that's who I want to see win. And uh, kind of like the sad Ronaldo memes, I just want to see sad France. You, you, you might see sad France. Um, uh, as long as Southgate goes with the last lineup card, I, I think that was their best one. Um, I could, I've, I've heard folks arguing for Calvin Phillips over Declan Rice. I think that that's, you know, being too, uh, too nitpicky, just kind of go with what, what got you here. Don't be too fancy with it. Even though he's a city guy, I'm still uh, keep Declan Rice in there. His size is incredible. Um, basically, as long as Mason Mount isn't anywhere near the starting lineup, uh, I don't think you can go particularly wrong in the midfield for England. Um, going to be a really interesting game. Um, but Rob, Rob said uh, something about historically the English beat the French. That may be true, but in terms of uh, soccer, historically the English beat the English, and I think that that happens again. Um, I'm going to take France to advance. As much as I want to see England move on, for you, Rob, I, you, you, you don't play on the squad and I don't think you have a whole lot of impact on it. Unfortunately. Um, I, I, I just think France is really good right now. And I don't see an answer to Mbappe's speed. Um, I, I guess Kyle Walker, but uh, he, he's getting up there. I, I, this, this is one of those, you know, splitting hairs type of picks. Anyway, this is very, uh, this is a world cup final quality matchup you know it could go either way i do think it will be uh regular time or or extra time there won't be a, a penalty kick situation for rob sanity but um i i think france pulls it off narrowly i think relying on a guy named walker for speed is a bad move worked out for city for the last uh <laughs> many years so i'm fine with it <laughs> that's a brave brave picking france in, in rob's presence here in the in the kucheki studios Rob, thank well, you for remaining. It's okay. I, it, it's okay. I know. Um, I know who will be buying uh, my beers uh, at London Bridge now, so that that works out. <laughs> well, keep me away from there because the last time I was there for a match, it was didn't go well for the English, particularly in the penalty kick portion of the game. But my my final my final analysis will be on Saturday. Frogs will croak. That is all. <laughs> Luke, you're 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 a. Uh... You didn't really narrow down what match you were at by uh by by the very. <laughs> no, you're, right, you're right. I didn't. That could have been a whole lot. Of- <laughs> For completeness' sake, it was the uh, Euro final against Italy. <laughs> okay, the most yeah. recent. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, oh man, I'm I'm really. I hope we I hope we are able to get together uh, this weekend. I, I uh, <laughs> hope uh, hope there's a nice big crowd at a uh, at at um London Bridge. Hope hope. Hope that game gets a lot of eyeballs. I hope it's a good game too. I feel like it's the most anticipated game of the weekend. So I also, you know, I, I hope it's a good one just for, just for the world cup's sake, you know? 
Yeah, if anything, listen, however it goes, uh, I think both English fans and French fans and world football fans want this to be a goal fest. It, it needs to be a goal fest. It Nobody wants this to be a defensive grudge match. Um, you know, we, we want to see both teams uh, just open up and, you know, just let that firepower reign supreme. And uh, we always know that the Royal Artillery wins. So there we go. It's a shame one of these teams has to get eliminated already. Like, I would love to see a couple more matches from both of these squads. I'm saying, man, this 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 would be a great final. <laughs> this would be a really great final. And um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, we're, we're towards the end here on the right hosh. We've analyzed all the matches that uh, we, we plan to analyze. But I, I'm going to end end here with with a, a riddle. Um, and, and it's it's why are there so many trees on the streets of Paris? Because the enemies like to walk in the shade. <laughs> there we go. The joke the joke is Germans, but they're they're playing England in this one. So I just I just genericized it. But um, but yeah. So so the, the except hopefully we see the French battle flag out too in that game. Just just a plain white flag after after England has scored about five goals. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it's it's very easy. All they have to do is rip off both sides, and then they can immediately surrender. I'm interested in in the kits for this one though. I wonder if England will wear red. Uh, or or France will wear blue. I know one which one team will probably wear white. I don't think it'll be a color on color matchup, but. I, I think it most likely um, if they both get their way, England would wear white and France would wear blue because those are both of their respective home kits. Yeah, for first colors, as it were. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm out of French jokes. I just I just wanted to get that in there because because I just I really want England to win this game. I want Rob to be really, really happy. <clears throat> I do, too. I do, too. I want, I, I want to see happy, like overly ecstatic drunk Rob. Rumors are swirling. That's all. <laughs> well, with that, we uh, we are about to bid you adieu from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me here. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this show, um, and and we do intend to continue the right hosh beyond the World Cup. We're we're actually I'm I'm really enjoying this and uh, talk about soccer for a couple hours each week. I don't know about you guys, but I've, this is the first real soccer show I've ever done, and I'm 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 really having a hell of a time. So uh, thank you guys for uh, for jumping on and. Um, any any parting thoughts before we actually do uh, push the button here? Let's go three lions and let's go the Atlas lions. Lions. Of Atlas. Uh, Rob, do you guys sing "It's Coming Home" for this one too, or is that just Euro? Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on that for right now. Well, I'm just no, gonna wait. Not Saturday. not that you have to sing it. I'm just like, is is that like, is that for any tournament or is that just for a Euro tournament? No, no, that's for any tournament. So okay. we do sing okay. it. It's it's early enough, but you know. Yeah, it, I'm not asking sings... you to jinx it. I just didn't know if that was applicable around this particular tournament. It it, it is. It's He's not any... superstitious. He's a little stitious. <laughs> any any international tournament. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, it's coming home. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll about do it before Rob jumps through the screen and beats the shit out of Alex for our third episode of <laughs> the Right Osh. <laughs> Uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Um, and we want to remind you again to uh, in the, later in this week, we will have an episode for American football of the right hash with myself and Alex uh, coming out in a day or two after this one. So enjoy the matches. We hope you enjoyed the show and uh, we, we will have another show for you coming up before the world cup is over. So uh, thanks a lot for joining us and go England. 
go Netherlands, go everyone else I picked. And I, I hope I look like a genius after these these uh <laughs> these matches and i hope that we just get four really really good games here in the world cup so goodbye from the nasser alexander kucheki studios for this time we will talk to you again very soon here on the right